Welcome to Winterville Christian Church in Winterville, North Carolina. We are affiliated with the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, or what you believe, Winterville Christian Church welcomes you to God's table. There is room for everyone, and everyone is welcomed, loved, and affirmed at the communion table and in God's kingdom. The table has been set and a place saved just for you. So join us for today's message. A reading from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being through him, and without him no one, no one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and it lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this, is whom, uh, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one who has ever seen God, it is only God the, the it is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made, made him known. This is the word of the God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning's reading, I don't know about you, but it sounds a little confusing in parts, doesn't it? Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being. It's just there's a lot of re repetition, and it's a, it's a little confusing. And I think what's, I don't know, what's, what's interesting about it is this is a central tenet of our faith, right? The Word is Jesus, and the Word was sent um, and was incarnate in Jesus. And so I tried to come up with some explanations and, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to just explain that or to tell somebody what that means. And so I thought we'd start with the word logos. And I think most of us are familiar that logos is what was translated into word. And so to better understand Jesus as the Word, the question has to be asked, what is the Gospel of John telling us about God and Jesus when the author uses this ancient Greek word, logos? 
Now, we may not be able to know with 100% certainty what was intended, but we can analyze the text and the use of that word logos to find some direction, to find some meaning. Now, most, if not all, New Testament translations, preachers, teachers, and probably you and I, we've relied upon a very basic and fundamental definition of logos. As is often the case, though, with translating from one language to another, there's something that is always lost. I mean, many languages use words to express more than just a single idea. For example, the word aloha. Now, we use it, or if we do use it, we use it to say hello. Um, and that's not necessarily exactly what aloha means. Aloha is used both for greeting and parting, and it conveys a feeling with it. It conveys a feeling and an idea of love and friendship. So it's not merely a hello. You would say hello to a stranger, but you might not say aloha. Another example, and this is, I think, a good one, um, is namaste. Folks in the West use namaste as a, sal a salutation, right? Namaste. Hello, goodbye, you know, you use it as a thank you. You use it in many different ways, perhaps. But again, this is not entirely correct. The word namaste literally means bow me you. In other words, I bow to you. And it's a formal greeting, and it's usually directed toward an elder by a younger person or a student to a teacher. And the response is often, the divine in me honors the divine in you. Now, yoga teacher Adil Pakavala says, the gesture is an acknowledgement of the soul in one by the soul in another, which is rooted in a Hindu belief. The author Susanna Barkataki suggests that if it is used, it's best used as a considerate greeting, not a pseudo-spiritual way to say, hey there, or to signal the end of a yoga class, which is how it's mistakenly used in America. And so words often carry deeper meanings than what we understand. And logos is an ancient Greek word, and like many of the non-English words, its definition is not so straightforward. Strong's Concordance reports that logos is a common term. It's used over 330 times in the New Testament. And it's always used with regards to a person sharing a message. It is a broad term meaning reasoning expressed by words, a word which uttered by the living voice embodies a conception or idea. A conservative Christian website says this about logos. It is a Greek word literally translated as word, speech, or utterance. However, in Greek philosophy, logos refers to divine reason or the power that puts sense into the world making order instead of chaos. It is the idea of a word uttered by a living voice that embodies a concept or teaches a doctrine. It is how ideas are communicated and brought to life. One more. Encyclopedia Britannica says, by the way, you don't have to go to a book anymore for Encyclopedia Britannica, isn't that cool? Encyclopedia Britannica says this, Logos, in ancient Greek philosophy and early Christian theology, the divine reason 
implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. So to say simply that logos means word leaves us trying to fill in a whole lot of missing meaning. And so let's try to fill in some of that today. Clinton McCann, a preacher in his sermon, God in the Flesh, writes that the Gospel of John does not say that Jesus of Nazareth was in the beginning with God. Rather, it is the word. The Greek is logos, and the English cognate, of course, is logic. In other words, in the beginning, there was a logic or an intent or purpose that became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, who is, according to the Gospel of John, just as the word is distinct from God, yet inseparable from God, revealing God the Father's glory as only an only son can do in the flesh. As Jesus would put it later in John's Gospel, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, when I read that, that one line about the Gospel of John does not say that Jesus of Nazareth was in the beginning with God, that sounded a bit radical to me. Because that was what I understood, right? I always understood that, well, Jesus was in the beginning. But if you think about it, or rather think of it, what's present with God in the beginning is not Jesus. But it's this implicit reason or this divine reason in the cosmos ordering it and giving it form, right? It's this meaning that God has for the world. And it's the power that puts sense into the world, making order instead of chaos. That's what logos is. That's the word. And so how does God reveal God's purpose for creation? He takes this idea, this logos, and reveals it to the world in the person of Jesus, so Jesus becomes the embodiment of God's divine purpose. Jesus brings God's purpose to God's people. You see, God is sharing a message, a message that we receive through Jesus. This divine purpose, this word, was with God in the beginning, and it was God. Therefore, to understand what God's purpose is, we need to come to maybe a better understanding of God at least scripturally. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, the author tells us that God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. I think we can all agree that describing God as love is a fair representation of our experiences of God. But bear with me a second as I rewrite that first verse. Knowing that God is love, I'm going to replace the word God with love, and reread that first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with love, and the Word was love. So there it is. There's God's divine purpose. If God is love, and the Word was God, then the Word is love. So God's divine purpose is love. Jesus is love incarnate, God in the flesh love in the flesh. You see, Jesus and God are inseparable. God is love. God's divine purpose is love. And Jesus is love in the flesh. Now, Jesus gives us some other clues during his lifetime to support this incarnation of love. In John 14.9, we read, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so, 
if we take a little math, a little transitive property, um, and I'm probably killing the transitive property here, but if God is love and Jesus is love, therefore, therefore, if we have seen Jesus, we have seen God. Right? A equals B. C equals B. Therefore, C equals A. Is that transitive? Uh, I haven't taught math in a while. So anyway, so there it is, right? God is love. Jesus is love. That is the word. The word is love. And if we go back to that definition from, the, uh, from Britannica, it says that the, the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning, it's love that is implicit in the cosmos. Love gives the world order and form and meaning. Without love, there is chaos. And so the word, that divine purpose, becomes flesh to bring order and meaning to the world. Jesus came to bring love and to teach us how to love so that we can make the world a better place, that we could bring God's kingdom to earth. In John chapter 13, 34, we read that, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. You see, that's God's purpose for creation. It is love. It is through love that we find meaning. It is love that brings order, dispels chaos. It is in loving that we show the world that we are disciples of Christ. But here's the problem. The world doesn't understand this. The world thinks love is a losing strategy. The world is consumed with winning with power, with success and money and material possessions. There's no place for love in that world. In fact, some believe that love, the idea that, say, we should turn the other cheek, has gotten us nowhere. And I couldn't... It's gotten us nowhere in that there's a different approach that's needed, a harsher approach. And I really couldn't disagree more. When love isn't working, more love is needed. God's divine purpose cannot be fulfilled until love is the purpose of all people. Order and meaning for the world can only be achieved when the commandment of Jesus becomes a reality for all people. When we can all love one another as Jesus has loved us, then we can welcome in the kingdom. Then we can say that God's divine purpose is our purpose. But until that time... We are to continue the work that Jesus started. Until that time, we are to spread the good news. We are to tell the world of a God who is love and who loves. We can tell the world that God loved us so much that God took on flesh to show us what it means to be human, to show us what it means to love. And so that's, that's it. God's purpose is love. Jesus came to deliver God's purpose, to bring meaning, to bring order to what was chaos. And so for us, we need only to recall the words of Jesus. Love one another. Just as he has loved you, you also should love one another. And by this, everyone will know you are his disciples you have love for one another. And may it be so. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you will join us again next week 
at Winterville Christian Church. Our theme song was written and recorded by Disaster Peace and used with permission.